Hey, Dunker Punks. Today, we're diving into the Dunker Punks podcast vault to revisit another memorable episode on gender by Dylan Del Haro. We're going to be listening to episode 27, Bible Talk, featuring a special guest, the Bible. First, here's our new theme music by Jacob Krauss. There's a million other things that I know I gotta notice Rated on all sides by politics and pride and Status updates and my virtual life What should I say or do? If all I wanna be is good I wanna see the better days yet to come And live and learn the love, love What should I say or do? If all I wanna be is good Questions to myself, but hope someone's listening. What should I say or do? If all I wanna be is good, I wanna see the better days yet to come and live and learn to love, love. What should I say or do? If all I wanna be is good, to become a true love conduit and seek peace and pursue it. Walls down, thundering Jericho sounds from our bodies, our mouths, our voices are found. We are gonna tear these walls down, thundering Jericho sounds from our bodies, our mouths, our voices are found. We are gonna tear these walls down, thundering Jericho. God's gender? If you're like me, you grew up hearing a simple answer to that question, either directly or simply through the use of pronouns and assumptions. The God of my childhood was easy to describe. He was male. But as we'll hear in this episode, the answer is not nearly that simple. It's complicated, and it should be. After all, as we discussed in last week's episode, God escapes simple description, especially along such a stark and unforgiving boundary as a gender binary. To think through the gender of God, Dylan Del Haro brings in an expert, if unexpected, guest. 
In this episode, you'll hear a creative, humorous, imagined conversation between Dylan and the Bible. In reality, Dylan makes rich use of his theological training to plunge into a fraught and complicated question. It's a Bible study. Just maybe a little more fun than the Bible studies you're probably used to. I feel like I've known you for a while, but I really don't know you. Is it okay if I call you Bible? Yes, you can call us Bible if you like, but Bible is a bit of a misnomer. The word Bible is derived from the Latin word for library, bibliotheca. So we are made up of many books, and each book includes different voices. So what? Most people call me Bible. Who do you say that I am, Dylan? I think I'll just stick with Bible. And if you're feeling formal, you may call us the Bible. Sure. I gotta say, you sound much more futuristic than I expected. Is that because you're hip, always keeping up with the changing times? We don't try to keep up with the times. The times try to keep up with us. Oh. Are are you always so esoteric? No, but we often come across that way at first. Well, thanks for making time to talk with me. We are always available. Yeah, but well, you know what I mean. Let's just get started. In the beginning? As Julie Andrews knows, that's a very good place to start. The beginning is not what I had in mind, but this is the third episode on gender. So we've already covered a lot of ground. I've been asking questions about gender. What does it mean for people to be gendered, uh, especially people of faith? How does my understanding of gender inform my relationship to God and to other people? And what I wanted to explore with you is the language I use for God and how that informs my understanding of gender. It sounds like you're going in circles. Yeah, it can feel like that at times. But my conversations so far have given me new ways to think about gender and people and God. So I'm glad to be going somewhere, even if it's in circles. Uh, so start by telling me a little bit about yourself. Well, we won't start in the beginning, since you have already begun. Instead, we'll start with us today and work our way backwards. You know that English is not our first language, right? Only 500 years ago, people started translating us directly into English from Greek and Hebrew. Before that, and for most of our canonical life, we were primarily written and read in Latin. But our first languages, and our deepest thoughts, are Hebrew and Greek. And if you want to take it a step further, it's very likely that Jesus spoke Aramaic. That's not to say it's impossible to know God through us. I am a living document, after all. We just want you to remember that there are 2,000 years of language transitions and editing. Whether you think that is a flaw or evidence of our endurance, it is a good thing to keep in mind when you're reading us or talking about us. 
Good point. Language isn't static. It changes over time. Most of us would not be able to read you when you were first translated into English. Spelling was a bit different back then. Uh, so was font and syntax. And before that, we were not accessible the way we are now. More people are literate today. Before the Reformation, there was no such thing as a printing press. It was expensive and difficult to get a full copy of us. We were only accessible to the privileged few who knew how to translate us or interpret us into common languages. What happens to the meaning of the text when you're translated? It depends on who is translating us, what original sources they are using, the theological climate of the time, the language to which we are being translated, the genre of the writing, and the intended purpose of the translation. In short, it depends. But even the original Hebrew or Greek are not unidimensional. Most of us were part of an oral tradition. Parts of us were passed down generations without ever being written. So there has never been one intention of a single text written by a single author. Each part of us throughout history has been layered with meaning. Right. And most people will say that they hear scripture differently each time they read it, depending on how they're feeling or what's going on in their life. God speaks in different ways, even through the same text. Oh, you want to talk about the different ways God speaks? In 1 Kings chapter 19, how does God speak to Elijah? Hmm. I think God speaks to Elijah in a still small voice. Correct. At least, if you were reading from the King James, you would have also been correct if you said, God speaks to Elijah in the sound of sheer silence, according to the New Revised Standard Version. The same words in Hebrew have been translated to say, still small voice and sound of sheer silence, two very different meanings when you read them plainly, and those are only two translations out of dozens. Often, different translations are very close. But sometimes, one or two words can convey extremely different things. Wow. Yeah. I remember in seminary there were three different categories of translations. There was uh, the word for word, there was thought for thought, and there was paraphrase. So, here, let me read an example uh, from each of these translation categories. Okay, an example of word-for-word -word translation is the interlinear Bible. Uh, and that's a Bible where there's an English word directly below every Greek or Hebrew word. Um, here's the example from that. And the word flesh became and dwelt among us, and we beheld the glory of him, a glory as of an only, only begotten, with a father full of grace and truth. Okay, that's word for word. And every word is translated regardless of its syntax, uh, you know, regardless of its adjacent words. Sometimes it can sound clunky for that reason. Okay, here's the same text, but translated thought for thought. And the word became flesh and lived among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, 
full of grace and truth. And uh, there's a footnote here where it says uh, a father's only son could also be the father's only son. That's the new revised standard version, like you mentioned earlier. That style of translation attempts to balance the integrity of the meaning of each word with the structure of ideas. The paraphrase translation cares more about the ideas being conveyed in the original language and tries to match them to phrases in English with the same meaning. The most common paraphrase is Eugene Peterson's The Message. Here's how he translates the same verse. And the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. So, quite a bit different, uh, quite a bit more embellished. He adds more idioms uh, that aren't in the original Greek. But, oh, okay, okay, you probably know this better than I do. I'm probably preaching to the choir. Oh, Dylan, you're preaching to the Bible, which is worse if you want to get literal. You're right. You should be teaching me something. What do you want to know? I am an open book. Well, I think we've covered enough about your history. Even though there is much more to learn about where you come from uh, or how you've changed and your many different faces, knowing just a little of that changes the way I experience you. I think even the plainest reading of a text has many inspired layers within it. But if I don't acknowledge any other layers, then I'm trying to explore a house by only staying in one room. Yes, and... Uh, yeah, so so tell me about your relationship with God. Uh, first of all, that's a personal question. And as humans say about relationships, it's complicated. God and us, we have a lot of history. So, we are not God, but we point to God. Think about the moon. It doesn't create its own light. It reflects the light of the star at the center of our solar system, right? But it's easy to forget that the light from our sun also reflects off of your face, or off of this microphone, or the bug guts on your windshield, the trees in your backyard, everything visible. It's because of that burning ball of gas, to some degree or another. We, the Bible, are like the moon. Does that mean God is more masculine and you are more feminine? Sweet Jesus, of course not. <laughs> Oh, sorry. That was my attempt at a segue. Are you trying to ask about the gender of God? Yeah, yeah, something like that. Well, obviously, when pronouns are attributed to God, they are often masculine. But that is a function of grammar and culture. Grammatically, many words are like the gender binary, either masculine or feminine. Culturally, Men have held more power, and that bias is reflected in some of the metaphors used for God. So, we call God Lord and King as a metaphor for God having power over us? 
Yes. But remember, it's complex. Originally, the authors of the Old Testament may have used masculine imagery for God in order to distinguish the Hebrew God from other religions that referred to their God as mother. Hmm. I didn't know that. I just Googled it. So, do you always refer to God as a dude? Absolutely not. There are so many images for God within us. If you don't look for them, it is easy to think of God in only masculine terms. But there are many feminine images of God, as well as many images that are not gendered at all. Would you give me some examples? Would we? How much time do we have? Let us tell you some of the feminine images first. God in labor. God who gives birth. Nursing mother. Maid. Midwife. Mother. Mother bear. Mother eagle. Jesus referred to himself as mother hen. Seamstress. Washerwoman. In the parables, Jesus tells of the woman baking bread or the woman looking for a lost coin. And God is called Queen of Heaven. Of course, there are many other feminine images sprinkled throughout our pages. But let us tell you three other big ones that are easy to miss. First, there is a character who is prominent in the first 13 chapters of Proverbs. Her name is Wisdom. Some call her the feminine Christ. She talks about being with God in the creation, which is echoed in the Gospel of John. You know, in the beginning was the Word. Read some of the early Proverbs, and you will meet her. Second, God first refers to God's self with plural pronouns. Then God said, Let us make humankind in our image according to our likeness. And then God creates them male and female in the image of God. So the image of God is male and female, according to God's first reference to God's self. And third, this one's hardly ever translated into English this way. Typically, one of the Hebrew names for God, El Shaddai, is translated the Almighty. El Shaddai can also be translated God of the Mountains, or the Breasted One. God is referred to as El Shaddai 48 times in the Old Testament, mostly in Job. So Bible, let me get this right. It's not blasphemous to refer to God in feminine terms. It's biblical. You can say that. Just don't use us to bash people over the head or shame them. We are tired of being used that way. But clearly, God is not just male or female, in the same way that the people you interviewed haven't fit neatly into one box or another. Oh, you listen to the Dunker Punks podcast? Is Galilee north of Judah? I'll take that as a yes. So you mentioned images of God that are neither male nor female. Off the top of your head, do you have some examples of those? Do we have examples? Of course we have some examples. Here it is. It's not an exhaustive list, but it highlights some of the breadth of imagery we have for God. Okay. Oh, you just handed me a, 
a list of biblical names for God. We should post this on the show notes, or somehow share this with our listeners. Yeah, there's a few dozen names here, all with citations, so you can find them in the Bible. Well, uh, it's kind of long, but why don't I read it? Adam, Advocate, All-Sufficient, Ancient of Days, Anointed One, Author of Eternal Salvation, Beginning and End, Blessed Hope, Branch, Bridegroom, Bread of Life, Buckler. I had to I had to look that one up when I first heard Buckler. It made me think of, yeah, a buckle. And so the buckler was the one who buckled the buckle, kept my pants on. But it, it's a really, it's, it's just a small shield. Captain, chief cornerstone, counselor, creator, day spring from on high, deliverer, uh, desire of all nations. Door, dwelling place, eternal life, everlasting. Maybe with a little more emotion. Hey, it's a long list. I'll try. I suppose you're used to people reading you that way. Uh, Faithful witness. First begotten of the dead and firstborn of all creation. Fountain of living waters. Fortress. Friend. Gardener. Good Shepherd. Oh, I like this one. Habitation of Justice, or Abode of Righteousness, depending on how it's translated, I guess. Healer. Holy One. Just One. Image of the Invisible. That's one of my favorites. Emmanuel. Light of the World. Lion. Love. Lamb. Man of Sorrows. Metalworker. Most High, my portion forever, maker of heaven and earth, mediator, name. Oh, wait, can I say the next one? I love the next one. Yeah, go ahead. Not of this world. Pretty good, right? (laughs) (laughs) Excellent, yes. Um, Yeah, almost done here. Potter, pearl of great value, prince of life, redeemer, refuge, the Resurrection, Righteous One, Strength to the Poor, Suffering Servant, Sun and Shield, Sure Foundation, The Way, the Truth, the Life, A Very Present Help in Trouble, The Vine, yeah, what interesting names for God, uh, and the last two, Warrior and Word. Um, well, you said that's not all of them, though, right? Correct. There are many others, and there are a couple that aren't on that list, which we would like to mention. The word for spirit in Hebrew is ruach, which is the same word in Hebrew for wind. The word for spirit in Greek is pneuma, which is the same word in Greek for wind. So the word spirit and wind are interchangeable in our pages. And second, the Tetragrammaton is a name for God with four letters in English, Y-H-W-H. In Jewish tradition, this is a name for God that is too holy to speak. Instead, you would say Adonai, or you would say Elohim, depending on the derivation. 
In English, this is almost always LORD in all capital letters. So when you see LORD in all caps, don't think LANDLORD. Instead, think the one whose name is too holy to say. Or the name which cannot be contained in a word. Oh, I love this stuff. I think all of these images of God are underused. Names like Lord and Father are good images for God. They're a deep part of our tradition and speak to some aspect of God. But even though they're patriarchal or even archaic, they shouldn't be thrown out completely. But there are many other biblical images of God for a reason. The authors experience God with a diversity of images. Each image gives me a different glimpse into the depth of God, because no single name or image captures it all. And these words make a big difference in how I experience God. If I pray to the healer, I might experience a more assurance of God's forgiveness and grace. In the same way, I experience different aspects of God if I pray thinking of God as the one who gives birth, or as the gardener, or maid or pearl of great value, with more emotion, the image of the invisible. Right. It's easy to overthink gender the way you can overthink God. You try to put gender in a box, but it doesn't fit. Hmm. Thanks for the reminder. Hey, we should hang out more often. You say that a lot, Dylan. I know, I know. Uh, yeah, I know. Well, is there anything else you would like to say? We do know a few jokes. <laughs> you do? Okay, tell us a joke. All right. Why didn't Cain bring an offering acceptable to God? I don't know. Why didn't Cain bring an offering acceptable to God? Because he wasn't able. Good one. Who said the Bible was always serious? Thanks again, the Bible. You're welcome, Dylan. And please, just call me by Today, like plenty of other Christians and people of all faiths, I feel uncomfortable with that simple assumption that paints God as only male. I try to avoid using male pronouns for God in my own extemporaneous speech, and I often find myself hesitating when I come across male pronouns for God in liturgy. I've noticed, however, that I don't have any such hesitation about masculine images of God, such as Father. Why is it that I feel disconnected from the He-Him God of our culture, yet I do not shy away from the Father God of the Bible? Revisiting Dylan's episode has helped me understand that this is because one of these ways of describing God is based in scripture, but the other is more a reflection of our culture, especially how our culture views women and non-binary people, who we feel deserves power. The Bible has plenty of masculine images of God, and these serve to capture an important aspect of who God is. But a culture that only sees God as masculine sees little of the whole picture of God. And a church that tries to confine God within the flawed vessel of masculinity is just begging for toxic trouble. 
Unfortunately, as we heard, there are plenty of feminine images of God, too. And there are many other images that don't require or flat-out reject gender. What a true delight it was to hear that list of biblical images of God that totally dismantle any scriptural basis for a male-only God. Advocate. Ancient of days. Creator. Refuge. Redeemer. El Shaddai. Dylan is right. These are so underused. That's why I'm grateful to Dylan for constructing this exploration of gender as a conversation directly with the Bible. Not just because it was fun to listen to, but because it reinforced a simple but profound point. Far too often, the Bible is used as a tool for black and white distinctions, for putting people into their place and enforcing a gender hierarchy within the church and within our broader society that gives men a lot of power and puts women and non-binary people in a lot of danger. But that is not the story that scripture tells. And it's not the order that God created. It is our task to dig deep into the scripture and unearth all its nuance and all of its context. In that ground, there waits to be found a gushing spring of justice. Not something new, but something as ancient as creation itself. Thanks for listening. Thank you so much for tuning into the Dunker Punks podcast. I really hope that you enjoyed this third episode of our special summer series, revisiting podcast episodes on the topic of gender created by Dylan Del Haro. If you want to dive even deeper into this topic, and I really hope that you do, please check out our small group curriculum. You can find that by visiting bit.ly slash DPP underscore gender to get started. Once more, that's bit.ly slash DPP underscore gender. We do suggest a donation of $25, but please do not let costs stop you. My name is Emmett Wachowski Eldred, and I've been your host for today's episode. My pronouns are he, him, his. Our other host for the summer series is Kiana Simonson. Jacob Krauss is the guy you heard at the top of the show performing our brand new theme song, and he also edits the show. Our show is not possible without the tireless and inspired work of Suzanne Lay. And we also want to thank Carrick Van Azelt, who does graphic design. And I want to give a special shout out to Matt Riddle, the new pastor at Arlington Church of the Brethren. Matt has been a great source of encouragement and inspiration. Arlington Church of the Brethren hosts and sponsors this show, and we could not be more thankful for them. If you want to learn more about the Dunker Punks podcast, please visit arlingtoncob.org DPP or go to dunkerpunks.com. You can also find us on social media at DunkerPunksPod. And if you want to contact us, please email dpp at arlingtoncob.org. Thank you once again for listening, and we'll see you in three weeks. Three weeks.